Downtown Southern Maryland. It's time again, finally, for Gears of episode number 20, 15th of February, 2016. Happy Valentine's Day to everyone. All right. Um, so it's been quite a while. It's been about since we did one of these, the lab's getting reworked. Um, and that's taken not in an easy way to get to them. So, whatnot. So, anyway, we're back. The lab's not quite finished. We had to. Uh, today, we're going to do a little talk about uh, two of my favorite tools the Bus Pirate and a Sele Logic Analyzer. And we're going to show how you can use those to debug, um, hack uh, I2C, uh, and some off board chip. Like uh, in our case, we're going to do the MCP. 4725 digital analog converter. I think that's the number. So we're going to show how that works and how you can use the bus pirate and the Sale logic analyzer, uh, to probe those, uh, to probe that chip. Um, before we get into that though, I want to go ahead and thank our sponsor. And I am still trying to figure out these new with bang, uh, Google new hangouts. There we go. So let's go with that one. All right. So a uh, big thanks to audible. Uh, you can head over to audibletrialcom slash steam powered podcast, where you can sign up for a free 30 day trial of uh, audible. Um, that is good. Basically, that'll give you one free credit. Uh, that credit is good for one download of a book. Um, there's uh, currently over 180,000 titles. Um, and I am personally listening to uh, Game of Thrones. I've watched the HBO show and never read the books uh, because I'm a lazy son of a gun who doesn't like reading uh, dead tree or even uh, a lot of uh, ebooks, but audiobooks are pretty cool because I can listen to them when I'm going uh, to and from work, uh, commuting anywhere, going on vacation, whatnot, listening last night in the tub with a glass of wine uh, with my candles going after a long, hard day of working in the wood shop. So, you know, they're good for anything. And um, like I said, I, uh, my wife and I, we are, we are uh, card carrying members. We um, pay for our membership every month, and I think we. Uh, I'm, I'm listening to Game of Thrones, and I try to switch it up with some uh, books like um, Creativity Inc., the Ed Catmull Pixar book. So I try to listen to little technology, innovation, business books in between the uh, the Game of Thrones. Like I said, there's 180,000 titles, so that means there's probably something out there for everybody. Uh, fiction, nonfiction, sci-fi, romance, mystery, classics, everything. That's um, after your free 30-day trial. Uh, it's only about it's 15 bucks a month. You get a credit every month. That credit is good for uh, one book to download. If you uh, so choose, and you want more, you can buy audiobooks um, 
on your own if you don't have a credit waiting. Uh, sometimes they offer you deals where you can get additional credits for a discounted price. So however you like it, how, however big a audio file you are, uh, there's probably a way to uh, satiate that. Well, it's a big word at Audible. Um, so yeah, we thank Audible uh, for their sponsorship. And again, head over to audibletrial.com slash steampowerpodcast. Um, you can sign up for a three-day trial, your free 30-day trial from there. Um, that gives you some something. That gives me a little something, something. And, every, and I guess Amazon gets like the two-thirds. So everyone's happy. Anyway, that's uh, that's our sponsor. And again, we appreciate them. So let's go. Let's just jump into it. No time to waste. Let me X this one out. So uh, before we get into the goodness that is um, um, the bus pirate, uh, I wanted to talk about a couple of things that I'm kind of excited about uh, that are coming out this year. Um, I think we've talked to some of them on Steam Power Podcasts, but I don't think we did anything over here at Gears. So, the uh, first cool thing, I picked one of these up over the holidays, so I guess Santa was good. Uh, it's from a Cipital. It's a, base, a structure sensor. Basically, you plug this little doohickey onto your iPad or your iPhone, and magically you have a um, 3D scanner. So, you probably heard me before I talked about Skinect, and I think you're the same guys that do Skinect, uh, that uses the um, Connect from the Xbox uh, to scan the problem that I was having was, um, you know, predominantly uh, I'm a Mac person, um, and you know, a, a very, a very powerful, uh, graphic intensive computer, um, would have been, you know, a lot of money because basically my issue was that I was having with connect is I was getting very low frame rate. Uh, even though I had an ice, a an i a core i seven laptop. I don't think I had a very big fancy graphics card in there, and I think the graphics card makes a bigger difference. So I was getting like three, maybe six frames per second on my scans with the Connect, and it was tethered with a wire. So walking completely around something was a pain in the butt. So enter the uh, the structure sensor. It is, I believe, you can get an app for like two ninety nine. 300 bucks, I think. Um, and that includes a little um, the sensor, a bar that holds it onto your iPad, and then the cable that goes from your lightning cable into it. Um, and then basically, now you have a completely uh, tetherless uh, 3D scanner that you can walk around. Um, and then when you're done, you basically email yourself the STL file that it scans, and then you can go from there and do all kinds of whiz-bang things. So um, and the quality is excellent. Um, you got to go, you know, it, it's way, it, I'm getting up like, I think like 25, 30 frames per second. And I'm using uh, an iPad mini third generation, I think. So um, the horsepower is there. The scans turned out great. It was so good. In fact, I was able to scan my wife and daughter and uh, 3D print them on our printer uh, bot metal. And it turned out really good. It was really impressive. So, um, if you're thinking about 3D printing, 3D scanning, um, especially if you're looking at like basically re- uh, reconstructing something you already have, a physical object that you want to make a duplicate of, um, I've got a lot of projects I'm thinking about this year where you know I'm going to take something I already have, um, scan it, 
and then I want to add like electronics inside of it. You know, you know, like take imagine like the model of a Starship Enterprise, and then um, you know, got the inside, hollow it out, and put in like lights, LEDs, sounds, whatever. So that's why I went with this. Um, some other things, some other projects I got coming up. Um, and there is, let me see here. So it's, it's, there's some other things they, they've demoed. There's a, uh, a really big, uh, I guess, update to the firmware that's coming out. Uh, I guess the company, the Cipital bought some other company. I forgot the name at the, for the moment. But basically, um, you know, I'm using it for doing a lot of scanning, 3D scannings to be able to do manufacturing. There's also some use cases where they're basically doing like augmented reality where, uh, you know, it scans your room and then it drops like animated characters in there and you can interact with them. Uh, and they interact with the real world. So like if, it, if you've got a table and chairs, um, and after it scans your room, that little character, and they use a little rabbit, can bounce around. It can jump around onto your chair. It can jump onto your table. It knows what the real world stuff is, and then it just overlays and augment it, which is really cool. Not my use case, but um, still, it's pretty cool to think that um, you know all this stuff is rapidly coming into fruition. Twenty sixteen, uh, I think, is going to be a banner year for a lot of of this three uh, D scanning, three D printing technology augmented reality, virtual reality kind of stuff. That's my rant. Um, some tools. So here, real quick, uh, let me bring it up here. So if you are using it for like what I use it for, there's three pieces of software that I'm currently, uh, let's see here, using, let me bring those up, Mesh Mixer, uh, which comes from uh, Autodesk. NetFab, uh, which is predominantly the really a, there's a professional version, but the free version does what I kind of need it to do. And then there is Mesh, is it Mesh Lab, which is uh, completely open source. <laughs> so, if you're going to use um, the occipital and you're going to get your STL file and you're going to scan it. Recommend downloading a copy of Mesh Mixer from Autodesk, Mesh Lab, which I think the code is up on SourceForge, and the free version of NetFab. Between these three pieces of software, I can take my 3D model and I can basically clean it up. Um, you know, sometimes you're going to have little holes, little pockets. You want to make things watertight. Um, these three tools kind of do everything that I needed to do. And it's, it would be cool if there was just one. And probably if you, if, if you got good at this, I'm still kind of an amateur. You probably could get away with just one of these tools, but I find that I need to use all three, like for NetFab, um, for cleaning up and removing parts I don't want seems to work best. Uh, mesh mixer, if I wanted to like resurface the texture, seems to be better. And then basically mesh lab for correcting orientation, exporting to different formats. Um, all three of these again run on uh, Windows and OS 10. So I'm using them on the OS 10 version and they all work really good. So check those out. If you're curious, um, you know, if you've done 3D printing, you know, the next step, um, 
you know, once you've mastered, uh, you know, custom design yourself. So my recommendation is, is three things, right? First, you know, go to like Thingiverse, just download 3D files, get your practice printing, learn how to use your printer. Once you've done that, you then use something like, um, one, two, three design or sketch up to make your own 3d files and then learn how to print those out. Then your third step would be, uh, doing 3d scans of real world stuff and then cleaning those up and then printing those out. And then pretty much by then you get, you'll have like, you're the ninja of 3d scanning and 3d printing. Um, I think that's that for that. That's for that, for that, something like that. Anyway, uh, next, next whiz bang thing I'm excited about for 2016, the Glowforge. Um, it is a laser printer. Um, it is, um, a very user friendly. It's kind of like, you know, probably the Apple of, of 3D printers. Um, and you know, that's a double edged sword. There's pros and cons, but, um, it is, um, very cool. Um, it was a Kickstarter project last year. Um, they are getting ready. They, I think they've had a couple little bit of delays here, but that's to be expected when you're doing something kind of brand new um, and getting their first models out. But um, the nice thing is you can still pre-order them today and you can get basically 40% off. Um, and I'm going to say that and I want to probably be, they've probably canceled that. So let me just check here real quick. Nope, still uh, looks like they're 40% off um, if you pre-order now. So basically, um, you can get the Glowforge by itself for $2,400. If you wait until they launch, it's going to go up to $4,000. If you get the one that has the air filter included, it's $2,995. Um, if you wait until they go for sale, it's going to be up to $5,000. So here's the cool thing about the uh, the, the um let me just explain a little bit real quick the difference and why I think the air filter one is worth it. Uh, especially if you're in the maker kind of crowd, you're not a professional design house. Um, so when you, th- when you, let's see if the video shows it. So as you cut or etch things with a laser printer, um, it makes really nasty smells and gases and you've got to get rid of those smells. So there's a fan now traditional 3d or excuse me, uh, laser printers, um, you would vent to the outside. So there there would be like a little, uh, it looks like like a dryer vent. Um, You vent that outside and that gets rid of all the nasty smells and and gases and whatnot. Um, And you can do that. The Glowforge, the basic model, you have to either, uh, as they showed some of the videos, make sure that it's near a window and that the vent can point out the window. Um, And that works. Um, you know, some things to consider is like if you're, you know, in, you know, obviously the right now it's pretty, it's we're winter time up here in the great, uh, you know, great white north that is, uh, southern Maryland. Um, and, but it's still cold out and opening up a window probably isn't an option this time of year, vice versa in the summertime when it's real hot. Um, probably not an option. Um, it, just open a window and, and let it vent out. The other option is to vent, you know, build it, you know, basically put a hole in the side of your house and vent it out that way. That's doable. Um, but you know, still a pain in the butt and depending on your skills and, and the, the desires of your significant other. 
So uh, in my particular case where we were going to use this as kind of like in the, in the interior of the house is where the little design lab is. Um, that was going to be a pain in the butt. So the third option is getting the one with it has the, the filter built in. Basically, imagine it's like a stand that the, the scanner sits on top of and you filter right into that. So this thing's basically had the filter. <coughs> um, and basically what that means is you can basically put this laser printer anywhere in the house. Uh, it doesn't have to be vented anywhere. And the filter um, just get replaced that every probably few months or whatever, uh, depending on how often you print. So the cool thing about it, um, it will cut wood, it cuts plastics, it cuts leathers. It does not cut glass or metal. It will etch glass. It will etch metal. Um, but the cool things about it, it's got two cameras inside. Um, so uh, orientation, being able to just put something in, not worry about the orientation and just basically drop your design on there. Orientate it in software. Um it's whiz-bang, drop-dead easy. You can use your iPad <clears throat> to do this as well, but they will have an iPad app. Um, the other cool thing is you can basically, and they'll show here in a second the little, the little video that runs in the background, um, <clears throat> you can draw on a piece of plastic or piece of wood by hand. You just take a marker, you draw on it. The Glowforge scans it, recognizes where you've drawn something, and basically will ask you where you want to etch and where you want to cut away. And so without having to do any 3D or 2D designs um, files, basically you don't have to know 2D design software. You can, if you're an artist by hand, draw out stuff, and the Glowforge will allow you to take that design <coughs> and um, duplicate it. So that's one cool thing is uh, it'll save it and duplicate it. Um, and then you can, um, again, you... you you basically, it's one button, you design it, you send it to the printer, you go over to the printer, there's a <clears throat> one button, you press that, which is cool because that's a safety precaution, right? You don't want to just hit file, print, and then someone's you know got the printer open and their hands down there. Um, so you do have to go over to the printer, physically press the OK button to print once you've got your material in there. Um, so anyway, um, I'm a big fan, even though it's not out yet. I guess I'm a fanboy. I love the concept. I love <clears throat> the style is pretty simple. Um, it seems very easy to use. Um, but we'll, we'll, I guess we'll hold off final review until the actual units are delivered. But um, if you want to check it out, head over to glowforge.com. Um, like I said, I think they're, They've kept saying they're going to, I think they're going to go from like 40% to like a 30%. As, as they get closer to, to, you know, full-scale manufacturing, eventually that discount's going to erode. So if you're thinking about it, if you're on the fence, just consider you're probably going to pay double what you can get it right now for um, as a uh, kind of like a um, pre-release. Last thing. So, um, I'm a proud uh, owner of the Inventables X-Carb, a CNC machine. They are coming out, um, and I had to check to see if their Kickstarter order did actually ship. They say that their Kickstarter, Kickstarter orders started shipping in December. I'm assuming that's right, um, but they still list it as a pre-order. So, <clears throat> 
uh, Carve is basically an X carve in a self-contained box um, that basically eliminates some of the so with, a, with a CNC machine makes basically when you're carving out wood or whatever it makes a lot of dust. Um, it gets everywhere. Uh, you got to have it vacuumed, um, you know, to keep it clean. The Carvey is kind of like the um, again, it's kind of like the apple of the of a of a CNC machine. So yeah, you're paying a market. There's a premium, you know, versus what you could either build your own um, or there's other competitors on the market. Um, but what they're going for is that. Again, that ease of use. So there's that trade-off, right? Where you, if you want something that you have complete control over, um, means that you're going to spend a lot of time tinkering, getting it right, making it uh, adjust it. Whereas when you buy these kind of, you know, I want to say, um, you know, just take it out of the box and it works. It's not quite there yet. It's not that simple. But in that vein of, you know, something that just basically you pull out of the box, you learn it, you can make a little couple tweaks, but, um, and especially the software. And this is where the open source argument kind of goes away. Cause I think a lot of like, I think Carvey, uh, they use something called, they have their own custom thing called easel. <laughs> I think that's a, it, you can send it straight G code. Um, the Glowforge is a little bit, uh, is, is closed source. Um, as far as I understand. So there's this trade-off, right? Where <clears throat> now we're talking about using proprietary systems, but if that enables you to make designs that then you in turn uh, open source, in other words, <clears throat> um, even though you're not completely using open source tools, um, if your design and the design files that you use to make a product are then open sourced, um, you know, where, what constant is that? Is that still a fair definition of, 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 um, open source? And I, I, I'm, I'm only believer that yes, that just because tools aren't <laughs> open source doesn't mean, um, that the products you make with proprietary tools cannot be, uh, open source. <clears throat> that's a trade off. That's, you know, a moral thing, I guess, uh, depending on where you stand. But for me, um, the trade off of having ease of use, um, it's so much worth it, because um, I'm the kind of I, I'm not I'm not a tool person. <coughs> I wrote about this a while to, a long time ago. There's there, what I called was there's the um, product jocks uh, and something like the tool tool tinkers. I can't remember what it was. Anyway, there's two types of people. In general, there's people that you know, love the tools. They they always constantly they, they get into a hobby for the sake of click, basically collecting the tools. And there's the people that only use see tools as simply a uh, the, uh, a means to an end. Um, and I kind of <clears throat> just gravitate towards that second one. Um, I'll use any tool that lets me get an idea out of my head and into reality uh, with as little pain as possible even if that means I'm paying a little bit of a markup um, and it's not totally maybe open source. So that's just me. That's not everybody. Um, anyway, so there's the three tools, the occipital structure sensor, the Glowforge, the Carvey, three tools that I'm really uh, interested in 2016, but to get on for the demo project <coughs> for today, let's, uh, let's cancel. Oh, well, maybe I don't, let's go over here. So let's, what is a bus pirate? First of all, so Bus Pirate is a little um, little board, a little circuit board. It's basically the, the size of a matchbox. 
that allows you to interface, sniff, send um, a lot of uh, various different um, serial communication protocols. <clears throat> two of the favorite, two of the big ones being um, I2C or I squared C, or I2C, I squared C, um, and then uh, SPI or SPI. So basically, it's just a way for chips on a board to communicate with each other. They pass um, information from chip to chip. The bus pirate basically takes the place of the microcontroller. So whatever the brains of a chip is, of a, of a system, you substitute this for the brains, and now you can interface, interact with all the, the sensor boards or the sensor chips or, or memory chips or whatever else directly. So you can, from the command lines, from a terminal, you can interface <coughs> with chips, and you can, and you can also see how they, they respond to your commands. So we'll use an example in a minute. I'm going to use that, that uh, digital analog converter. <coughs> and the way, the way I do my work, I use this to send commands. And then I use a Sele logic analyzer to record the commands uh, or to watch what actually happens. To, so basically, it's an oscilloscope um, that, that focuses on digital uh, communications. And usually they have an analyzer that can decode the protocol. So in our case, we're going to focus on I2C or I squared C. <clears throat> and the Sele lets us actually see the signal bounce around the chips. Um, so the bus pirate, let's go. So that's, those are the two tools we're going to use. Um, <clears throat> let's go ahead and switch on over now to my little setup here. Let me switch cameras. All right, let's let's get rid of this thing down here too. That's getting in the way. Let's turn that off. All right. So down here, there's a little bus pirate. Our chip of interest is underneath here. Um, I will say so. Using these logic analyzers and um, whatnot, there's a lot of probes. There's a lot of probes. It's a lot of cable. It is a rat's nest nightmare um, to do this kind of stuff. That's why, like the little pogo, um, you know, building a little custom uh, pogo pin um, debug or, or troubleshooting device <coughs> or test bench or test stand or whatever you want to call it is so invaluable. Um, cause there's a lot, it's a, it's, there's, it's a lot of pins and they're very small and it's all together. So anyway, uh, the bus pirate on one end is a USB goes to your computer. Um, the other end has got the, um, the ribbon cable that has all the various probes. You have to know which pin, which probe goes to which pin. It's all very well documented. And then the other set of pins of the probes we on this side <clears throat> go to our logic analyzer. And then uh, I've got my um, uh, multimeter here just to see. We're going to basically a digital analog converter. We're going to um, basically tell it to send out various voltage levels. So um, anywhere from zero volts up to five volts. 
and uh, to do that, we're going to use – so that's the hardware setup. Let me go ahead and switch back over to the screen. Um, <clears throat> screen one. So let's take this. Let's minimize this. I am using an app called um, Cool Term. It is a terminal window. Um, so back, you know, Windows Putty is very popular. Um, it's way, you know, when we would t- we would telnet in or SSH into systems. Well, in this case, we're using it to um, <clears throat> talk to our bus pirate. Uh, and tell it to do various things, and you do that. Um, basically, it's just it's serial driven, it's a, or a command line driven. Um, real quick, in case anyone downloads Cool Term and is using it, let me just show you some of the settings that I had to tweak to get it to work. So make sure you obviously check to make sure you're connected to your uh, your bus pirate. The baud rate one one five two zero zero, so um, one hundred fifteen thousand two hundred bits per second. Uh, each packet's eight data pits wide. We're doing no parity. Uh, one stop it. Turn off all the flow control. Um, the initial line states I don't think makes a difference. Uh, let's see here. Did I change anything on the screen? So the one thing to note is handle BS backspace and delete characters. If you don't tab this and you go to delete, um, it's you're basically you make a mistake typing something you won't be able to delete. So you got to check that box on the terminal. Um, do, 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 I think on receive and transmit, I didn't change anything else. I feel like there's something else I did change. Maybe not. Oh, uh, yeah. Enter key, uh, enter key emulation. It's defaults to, uh, I guess, carriage return and line feed. Set that to just a carriage return. Uh, and once you've done that, go ahead and hit connect and watch this not work for me. Uh, hit enter on your keyboard once and boom, you'll should see something that says high Z, high impedance. That's the default state. Um, so in our case, we're going to go ahead and type in little m. That brings up the menu. Uh, we want to go into I2C mode, I squared C, so I type number four. Uh, and again, this all depends. I guess this would vary in the firmware. So if you're using a newer firmware of the Bus Pirate, this might change. So check the um, the user guide. But this is I'm using a Bus Pirate 3.6. It came out. I, got, I bought it about a year ago, and I've never. I don't think I've ever updated the firmware. So whatever came with it about a year, year and a half ago is what I'm using. Uh, I tend to go with uh, the 100 kilohertz as for my speed. Uh, I go ahead and hit ready. Now I'm in I2C mode. So now what I can do, type big W. That'll turn the power supply on. And if I was showing you the board, the little red LED would light up saying I'm uh, pumping 5 volts out. I also want to turn up the uh, turn on the pull-up resistors. So got that going for me. And then if I'm really lucky, I type uh, parentheses, open parentheses, one, close parentheses. This is going to um, let the bus pirate basically scan for any I2C devices it sees connected to it. And, of course, I've got something fouled up because it said it doesn't see anything. Um, and that is probably because, let's see here. 
I've got the serial data line popped off my uh let's try to connect that. All right, let's try this one more time now. There we go. Okay. Make sure again all there's a lot of pins. There's a lot of little probes. Make sure um that they are all connected else you'll get this problem. So if you here we go. It sees um basically uh here is our MC4725. We have the write uh register and we have the read register. Um so uh do, 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 do. So what I want to do is basically tell um I'm going to write to it and I'm going to say basically go low, go turn off the thing. So we're going to uh, open bracket zero X Charlie zero C zero zero X zero 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 X zero zero. Uh, again, every chip has a uh, data sheet. Data sheets will explain uh how you can interact with the read and write register. So if I go ahead and enter, uh, there it is. It's transmitted these bits. Uh, so the uh, the bus pirate sent this over the I2C bus to the MCP4725 digital analog converter. And uh, if you're looking at my um, multimeter, you would have noticed it just went to zero volts. Uh, so let me go ahead and um, let me... Let me stop doing this. Let me, there we go, switch back to the camera. Oop, there we are, we're already back. Um, so if you notice up here, that's, um, so let's do, let's do the opposite now. Let's do, 0xc0. It's about to go to 5 volts. So 0x0f base 0xff. So now I'm going to say basically go full tilt. There we go. 4.9 volts, so 5 volts. And now just for uh, grins and giggles, I'm going to go back to... Uh, Zero x zero 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 x zero zero. Basically, turn it off again. I'm gonna get already hit enter. We should watch this. It'll go to zero volts. There we go. Zero volts. So um, <clears throat> that is basically showing how the bus pirate, um, how you can use the bus pirate to send commands to a chip, um, and then you can with different tools, uh, basically, you know, record. Uh, probe uh, how those commands um, cause the chip to do various things. So in this case, digital to analog converter is taking that digital string and taking a making an analog voltage based on um, the zero x zero 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 x zero zero is equates to zero zero x zero f zero x f f um, basically all ones basically says go to f- uh, you know, max voltage. Um, in this case, we're hooked up to five volts. <clears throat> so,
So that is controlling. That is sending commands out. Um, that's what the bus pirate does best. To let me switch back over now to screen one. Let's present this to everybody. So now let's bring up Sele, the logic analyzer. So whereas the bus pirate is good at sending commands to a chip, sometimes you want to spy on the bus. Actually, I have to be careful how to say that because <laughs> SPI and spy. Sometimes I want to monitor the bus. In this case, it's an I2C bus. And I want to see what's happening between chips. So you can imagine for a moment... Um, say you didn't have a bus pirate and you were, you, you, you had a proprietary product, you opened it up, um, and you were tinkering inside of you. You wanted to see what are the commands that the microcontroller is sending, uh, to a chip and vice versa. What is, what is basically, how are they speaking back and forth? How do they work? Um, any logic analyzer does that. Again, I just prefer the, again, the ease of use, um, the pretty screens of uh, the fact that <laughs> the Sele works with my MacBook. All right. <clears throat> um, so basically what you would do is you would hook up, say there was, um, you know, eight pins coming off of a chip. Um, you would just put your probes on every pin because some of, you know, one's going to be voltage, one's going to be ground. Um, <clears throat> and in the case of I2C, there's going to be the data line and there's going to be the clock line and you don't need to know which one is which you just put your probes on there. Um, and then we'll let the tool figure that out for us. Um, in my case, um, you know, since I've done a little bit of homework, uh, to save time, um, I know that either the data line or the, or the, the clock line is on channel zero. Just ways I, I put the probes on there. <laughs> Obviously, if you're doing this, if you were doing real tinkering, you would just go, um, you know, one sh- one channel at a time. I would set the trigger because the way I2C, I2C has a pull up resistor. So the line, when it's not being used, is going to be whatever VCC is. In this case, five volts. It's when it drops to zero. That's when basically all the magic is happening. That's when the communication occurs. So you're looking for a falling edge. So when <clears throat> channel zero, and I think zero is the clock. I think it's the clock. Uh, so when the clock line goes to zero, that means I'm getting ready to start a, a communications, um, then start recording. Because otherwise, I don't, I don't really care. I want to wait until there's actually something useful to watch. <clears throat> so I'm going to enable a trigger. Uh, that looks for a falling edge. Um, if you were looking at a, a, a communication protocol that was zero volts or grounds um, normally, um, and it went up to a VCC, uh, you would probably want to put on a, a rising edge trigger. <clears throat> but in our case, we're using a falling edge. So I'm going to go ahead and also bring up Boom, 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 boom. Where did it go? There's school term. So I'm going to run, put this guy down here. I'm going to shrink it up a little bit. And I'm going to basically pre-populate 0xc0, 0x0, 
F zero X F F. All right. So I'm going to run that command, but first I'm going to go back up here to my uh, logic analyzer. I'm going to do a million samples at four megahertz. Um, again, wait. And then by the fact that I put the falling edge trigger, wait until I trigger. So go ahead. I'm going to hit start here. Bring this guy up. Hit enter. Boom. There is our data. Um, so channel one, I'm going to go ahead and hide that because there's nothing there. I'm going to hide this one to prevent just confusion. So now here's our, our area of interest. So remember, we what, down here we wrote 0xc0, 0x0f, 0xff. So the 0x just means we're sending this, uh, assume that this is hexadecimal code. Um, that's all the 0x means. You can ignore that. <coughs> C0, so C uh, is equivalent to the digital, or base 10, the number 12. So that would be uh, 1, 1, yeah, 10, 11, 12, A, B, C. So it would be uh, 1, 1, 0, 0, and then four zeros. And it would be the opposite here. Uh, so then it would be four zeros, 1, 1, 1, four ones, and then eight ones <clears throat> on the data line. So it should not be a surprise that there's like, it looks like there's kind of like three groups of packets or three. Um, groups of, of bits that are sent that this does in fact correspond to the fact that we sent C00FFF. And if you zoom in, or actually before you zoom in too much, go over to uh, the analyzers and tell it to run I2C and say channel zero is, so the S, the data line is channel two. The clock line is channel zero. Save. Uh, I go ahead and tell it to rename. <clears throat> and so now, when we do that right, well, let's try it one more time. I2C. The data line, oh wait, the, the data line is channel two. The clock was channel zero. Rename it. There we go. Okay. So now when you zoom in, you notice it has W. Not 192, 15255. So those are the base 10. That's the decimal equivalent of, let's, uh, so again, we sent zero, we sent a C0 in hexadecimal. So that would be 1100000000. So Two ones followed by six zeros. <clears throat> that would be 64 plus 128, which equals 
192. So 192 in base 10 is C0 and hex. 0F, zero, four zeros followed by four ones. Well, 8 plus 4 plus 2 plus 1 is 15. The four leading zeros in front of it, 15. So 0F in hex is one is 15 in base 10. And then the last thing we sent was eight ones. Eight ones is 255. Um, and so there we've basically captured, and then I'll zoom in a little bit. We'll focus on 15. Where when we sent base, uh, you know, zero X, zero F, so um, on the rising edge of each clock, we went, basically, we, we, we uh, uh, sequentially took in the data. So on the first cl- rising pulse, zero. Second pulse, zero. Third pulse, we took in zero. Fourth pulse, zero. On the fifth data pulse, we took, it was, now the data line was high, so that's a one. The sixth pulse was also high, one. Seventh pulse was high, one. The eighth pulse, so we know it's eight bits, so there's the eight bits, and then this down over here, this last bit, it's how we know it's an acknowledgement. It's saying this is, this is not part of the data, this is just, this is the protocol saying I'm done with this, with this, um, this packet of data. So we focus on these first eight clock transitions. And that's how we read. So zero 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 one 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 is zero f zero f in hex or is hexadecimal in decimal zero f is fifteen plus the acknowledgement. And that's how you can kind of figure out what type of data is being passed back and forth. Um, even if you don't know what it is, um, you can at least start figuring out how. Um, you know, how's the system built? What is what is the address? Because the first thing is always the address. Um, and then it's the data, and then you could figure out how the data is uh, by you guys monitoring the stimuli. Monitor in our case, we're mon- monitoring the analog voltage output pin. And if we played around long enough, we would probably eventually realize that this is a digital to analog converter. Um, this is the address I write to, and then if I put in zero 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 zero, I get zero volts out. And if I put the max value, which is fifteen or zero F, FF, I would get the max voltage out, which is five volts. And that's it in a nutshell. That's so that's the logic analyzer part, looking at how to read the signal, and the bus part using uh, via the cool term uh, terminals uh, app, how to uh, play with the bus part. So I'm having a little issue. It looks like Google um, Hangouts uh, basically is crashing every couple minutes. And um, I think most of what I wanted to record got through. Um, But I guess I'll have to take a look uh, afterwards and see. Anyway, so that's the bus pirate. That's the Sele logic analyzer. Um, There are... Lots of solutions out there for both. I just prefer um, those two because, again, cost, performance, um, they're good enough for what I need to do uh, for most of my jobs. 
Um, the Salix, I have an older one. It's only, it was only a logic analyzer. The newer ones have analog as well. Um, so it's kind of thinking of like a, like a mini little oscilloscope. Um, I still, for an oscilloscope, I prefer to have, uh, you know, buttons and knobs because, cause I've never found one where the software, software defined oscilloscopes, I've just never found one that, They've made that intuitive leap for what a knob and a, and a button does on a on a digital scope hasn't quite translated well into purely a software defined oscilloscope. So that's just my personal anyway. <clears throat> so with that, um, again, I apologize. We are in the midst of working on a bunch of projects. The lab's getting redone. We're ripping out old supplies. We're taking. We're getting some new stuff. Um, and it's just a mess and it's nuts and it's crazy. And, uh, again, I apologize and appreciate your patience and understanding since it's been almost two months since our last episode. So with that, um, we're going to try to do, I think we're going to try to do a steam power podcast tomorrow to kind of catch back up. Um, but obviously no promises because, um, crap happens and this isn't a full-time gig. So anyway, um, trying to think there's anything else so we'll do uh head over to gears of resistance.com there are there'll be links to everything we talked about today um and more importantly um links to places where you can comment back to us and, and what do you like what do you don't like um <clears throat> a podcast just talking about open source hardware isn't kind of fun i think i'm going to go back and try to rethink about doing this as more of a, a how-to tutorial podcast uh, unless just talking and ranting and then save that for steam power podcast uh, when Lisa joins me. So anyway, I think that's what I'm thinking about. I'm not sure what I'm thinking about. Totally. That's what I think I'm thinking. I'm talking, thinking about. Uh, and before, so before I guess hangouts crashes again on me, I'm going to leave it there. So again, thank you all very much for listening. Head over to gearsresistance.com. Uh, hit links to everything else we do. Uh, audibletrial.com slash steam power podcast to f- sign up for a uh, free 30-day trial of Audible and get your audiobook listening on. Uh, so that, with that, until next time, thank you all very much, very, very, very much for listening or watching. And until next time, keep it steamy, stay quirky. And I thought I had something else, but I don't remember anymore. We'll see you next time. Bye. <laughs> I'm <laughs> sorry.